up, what's up, what's up? Hey, everybody. It is finally here, the first episode of Dance Beyond the Floor. I am your host, JJ the Killer. Also, let me give you a little, um, what's the word here, warning, that I am doing this alone. So if you do hear, like, my nails in the background click-clacking or my little doggy paws coming around, like, I'm sorry, girl, you know, we ain't doing this ghetto style. You getting, like, RuPaul season one filter, okay? <laughs> so get into it. Um, and I am so excited. I have been... Wanting to do a podcast for a really long time. I've talked about it with my friends for what feels like ages. And I really wanted to start doing it at the beginning of the year. And then things just got really crazy. And just things have gotten in the way. And has kept me from being able to like actually start recording. But I have, in the meantime, just been kind of doing some research and whatnot. And I'm just super excited because... First of all, there are many layers to why I kind of, like, started this podcast, but one of them is that, like, I think that there's so much more to dance. Dance is more than just what we see on our TV screens and on YouTube and Instagram and commercials and movies, and it looks fun and all that stuff, but it's so much more deeper, and... You know, it's really rooted deep within, like, our culture and cultures around the world and deep within, like, history and politics and fashion and music and just, it's really embedded into our lives. And I don't think we also really think that, like, every day we're dancing through our life, like, all of our routines and everything that we do, it's all one big production at the end. And, um... I'm excited to look at it because dance has really given me the ability to get through a lot, you know? Um, dance has helped me through relationships. It has helped me through some dark moments. It's helped me through some of my most exciting moments. It's been part of, like, how I got to travel the world. And it's just so amazing, the many things. So I'm excited to be able to talk to you guys. And I'm also able to, like be able to reach out to my dance community and be able to talk to dancers near, far, and maybe share some experiences, maybe learn a few things from each other. And I'm excited to hear your guys' feedback, too. Um, I'm always wanting to learn and gain more knowledge. And so I'm just really excited to take this journey with you guys. And I hope you guys are just as excited as I am. So the other layer to this is that, you know, when I was younger... And when I was contemplating my next steps of going into the professional career, you know, my mom wasn't, like, adamant about me being a professional dancer. She really wanted me to go to school. And so the deal was, was kind of, like, as long as I go to school for dance, she'll allow me to, like, leave the area. Because I was like, I need to get out of here. Um, and so with that, that took me to looking into what I could study in dance and I had come upon like oh my god you could be a doctor and I was like because there were a few programs that had offered it like and I was like oh my god that could be so fucking cool if I could become a doctor in dance one day because I really enjoy learning about dance from all angles different styles different cultures um the roots of it all, I love that kind of shit. And it's always intrigued me just because I love dance. I love how it makes me feel and I want to learn about where it all comes from. And I love watching it. I love seeing other dancers. Um, 
A quick fun fact. So when I was working at Debbie Reynolds, me and my homeboy Ellis, we used to get super stoned in my car and then we would go inside and watch all the dancers and we'd sit in the front of the class and just fucking watch them go off. It was like one of the best things ever. Especially I love like different cultural dances like Latin or African because it's so emotional and so beautiful to watch. Uh, anywho, Flash forward to when Corona hit and my industry basically just went to shit, it really made me start thinking about like, okay, what's next? Like, I need to stay connected to dance. Like, couldn't work. I couldn't perform in front of people. The Zoom kind of was like, it started off great and then it just went like downhill like super fast. And, you know, I just... It made me start thinking about the future, like, when I can't dance, I need to find a way to stay connected to it to keep me fucking sane, right? Um, and, you know, I'm just too broke to go to school, to be honest, and I don't want to spend time in a classroom, and I thought, well, what better way than to maybe just start a podcast where I can communicate with other people, I could, like, research stuff, and it keeps me connected to the community, and, um, yeah, so... I'm super excited to, like, dive into all the craziness that dances. So, um, now I'm sure a bunch of you people are like, who the fuck is, is this? Like, who are you? Um, so I guess I should maybe give myself a little introduction just so you guys aren't like, you know, for all the new listeners out there who maybe just wondering who I am and that's okay because <laughs> I ain't famous yet, bitch. <laughs> but... Trust one day I will be. But until then. Um, so my name is JJ the Killer, and I am from San Francisco, born and raised. Um, but, you know, I eventually left the nest and I went down to L.A. to go pursue my dance career and start off. And that was fun for a few years. I was down there for six years. I went to Cal State Northridge. Shout out to Northridge. CSUN Hip Hop. Um, still going strong, I think. I'm not really sure, but, um, and shout out to Matt Katie for starting that crew and giving us all the opportunities. Um, such fun times. And I, while I was down there, I worked Debbie Reynolds, um, which is now Debbie Reynolds Legacy, and, uh, such an amazing experience there. Got to work with some amazing people, got to meet some amazing talent, some amazing famous people. Um, those walls have so had so many stories. Unfortunately, that place no longer exists. But I am so lucky to have been in the rooms of so many of the great and talented people in the industry, music and dance. Um, such an experience. Did the whole Millennium IDA Edge, you know, rest in peace. You know, Edge is where you got your edge of vacation. Like, that was like, they had like the dance programs, they had like all the shit. And, you know, they just moved right before Corona to the new building and unfortunately had to shut down. So that's, I mean, they just had their new building. Ugh, shout out to the Edge. And I miss you guys and hopefully you guys will be able to one day come back and just as strong. Um, great dance education there. They had some of the most famous dancers come out of there. Um, and then I got bored. <laughs> um, I, but that's just my personality not to do with LA. Um, and I also just, it, I didn't feel like I meshed with LA. Um, and I think a lot of Bay Area people, you know, who travel down there, you know, you either mesh or you don't. A lot of people end up moving there and they love it. 
a lot of people from up there come up here. You know, it just depends on your vibe. I'm a concrete jungle kind of guy. Like, New York was more of my vibe. London, which is actually where I moved to. Um, once I left L.A., I <laughs> was actually in my bio class, um, a biomechanics class. And I remember turning to my homegirl sitting next to me, Tiffany, and she was my best friend, bless you. Anywho, I, like, turned to her and I was like, yo, um, so I'm buying a one-way ticket to London and I'm not coming back. And she, like, turned to me and she was like, uh, okay. And I was like, oh, and I'm going to cheer on your test, okay? Thanks. <laughs> she was like, okay. Um, so yeah, literally six months later, I sold all my shit out of my apartment, sold my TV, my bed, everything I could sell, packed everything up, drove it to my mom's house, stayed home for like a month to hang out with family and friends, gone. Um, and I never looked back. I spent six months traveling throughout Europe. I went to every dance studio. I mapped out studios from Ireland all the way to Russia. I only made it to Poland, unfortunately, because um, it took me a little bit longer. I, like, had a love affair in Ireland, and I, like, flew back from Poland to Ireland, and, ugh, that's a story for another podcast. But, yeah, um, I eventually made my way back to London, and I auditioned for a company, and I got in, and... They had a visa program, which I didn't even know they had when I auditioned. I just went and just was like, you know, let me see what I could do, right? And lo and behold, I was the last name that got called. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, I had to tell them, like, I'm sorry, but like, I'm from the US and I don't have a visa. And she was like, we actually have a visa program. And I was like, oh my God, this is fucking amazing. And that just started it all. Um, I ended up getting agency and getting it with an agency, Box Artist Management, shout out. You guys were amazing. You know, I was able to go and audition. I was doing really what I wanted to do as a dancer. Like, this was it. I was doing X Factor, Britain's Got Talent, and, you know, auditioning for uh, concerts like Ariana and Taylor Swift. And it just, I was finally doing what every dancer, commercial dancer, dreams of doing, you know? And then it came. I fucking broke my back. <laughs> and. And that is eventually what brought me back here to San Francisco. Again, you guys, I'm giving you a short version of the story. So um, over time, I'm sure you'll learn more. But um, I eventually moved back here to San Francisco. And I was in recovery for about three years. And during that time, I was helping my family out with some stuff. And I was teaching on the side. I was working, doing some competition um, squads and soloists and things like that, just kind of dance was on the back burner. I wasn't trying to move as much because physically I couldn't. Um, I couldn't even walk for, I don't know, a good year um, properly and then got better and better over time. And obviously I'm back dancing now, but uh, yeah, it's still a struggle. Um, anywho, um, so I've been now dancing here full time for the last five or six years and it's not that big of a scene. Like, the San Francisco dance scene is not... Like, people aren't moving here to be dancers unless you're in ballet, right? Like, San Francisco is known for ballet with the San Francisco Ballet, the third oldest ballet company in the world. Um, but other than that, um, you know, a lot of the dance that comes through are travelers um, through theater productions and things like that. There are theater companies here. Um, there are... But they're not, again, they're not, like, New York level. Um, and the commercial work is very slim to none. We get them. But 
I work, uh, actually I manage a talent agency as well. Um, and we only, we're the only agency that really caters to like dancers and performing artists. Other agencies are really more for models. Um, we do have like a few modeling agencies, but, um, the commercial work in the dancing is just isn't that big. Um, and so, you know, we're not on the level of LA, New York, Chicago, Miami, but, um, I love the San Francisco dance scene because it is unlike any other. The people here have such heart. And those are the kind of dancers that I love to train with, right? Um, the kids are dope. You know, a lot of the kids, eventually the ones that take it really seriously, end up moving down to L.A. because it's like a hop, skip, and a jump. Um, and a lot of the young kids, too, who are, like, really talented are actually doing double uh, living part or living here and then traveling down there and still auditioning and stuff. A lot of those kids are doing that. So, um, you know, the Bay Area's got talent, but we're not really seen as like the city to go to again. Like you're not moving here to like become a dancer. Um, but we, I like to say like we breed amazing dancers and then they go off to LA and go do their thing. And I'm proud, proud of that. Um, and again, like I said, the dancers here have such heart, like, um, they're here to learn for themselves and they're not here to book a job or anything like that. They're here just to better for themselves. And at the end of the day, whether you're a professional or not, like that is what you want to be doing. You just want to get better for yourself. And obviously if you're a professional, you want to get better to book jobs, but like the best you can be, it's like, so when you go to a class, you're like, oh yes, I killed that. We all love that feeling of getting to a class and be like, oh bitch, I killed that today. What? Um, you know, but, um, yeah, I love the Bay Area, um, and I love that I'm also close to LA and all that stuff, so, um, yeah, so I think it's time, now that you guys got to know a little bit about me and what's going on, I think it's time that we dive into our first topic. <laughs> um, the reason I chose the topic today um, or for this first episode, is because it's also something really personal, I think, not just myself, but a lot of dancers are going through right now, and it's asking a lot of questions about our future, um, and so today we're going to be talking about the next chapter for dancers, and retirement, and all the scariest things, so bear with me. Um, because this is a hard topic, I think, for a lot of dancers, and I think a lot of professional athletes, um, so this, this is also one of the topics where it's more than just about dance, because a lot of professional athletes go through this, and a lot of people who are just passionate about their jobs go through this, I think, but dance is different, let me point that out, and why is it different? Because... Unlike many other sports, dance is also a language, and it's something very personal. It's an emotion, and soccer can be emotional, football can be emotional, but this is, when you're dancing, you're telling somebody a story about your life sometimes, or somebody else's life, or a made-up story, but to be good at it, you have to invoke it, you have to feel it, you have to go into it, and... I imagine there's a sense of concentration when you're throwing around a ball and stuff, but it's not like you're connecting on a level that is personable with somebody else. Your story might be like how you maybe got to 
the point that you're at, but what you're emoting and what you're doing in that moment in time is so different. Um, so yeah, but they're all connected and they're all connected, right? So I think it's really important first for us to understand the life before retirement, because one, there's always a lot of confusion with the lifestyle. A lot of people always just see it as like, oh, dancers are, they, you know, get to work with celebrities and all that stuff. No, 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 no. That's not how it is. You know, there's a road that leads to that. And all the time, not every dancer works with celebrities either. There are so many other different dance jobs out there that dancers work their whole life and um, get to a certain point to be able to perform at a certain level. And whether you're dancing for stars or whether you're doing um, a cruise ship or working in Vegas or working at a theme park or working at a strip club or working with a professional traveling company or a ballet company or a hip-hop company or a jazz company or a swing company. There are so many other different things than just what we see on the screen. And, you know, um, I think just a lot of people see kind of what you see on maybe So You Think You Can Dance or um, World of Hip Hop, um, World of Dance um, or Hip Hop International. But there's so many other things. Um, so we have to remember that dancers and professional athletes, we start very young. Um, I personally started later than most dancers. I was about... 12, 13, when I actually started training. Um, most start two or three. Um, I don't know many other sports, but for dancers specifically, we start at such a young age. I mean, I even still think like 13 is pretty young, you know, but to other dancers, they're like, no, I started when I was four, you know. But anywho, um, I put in the work, I put in the time. Anywho, um, you know, and they work their whole fucking life. Like, every day, especially the ones um, who have are blessed with dance moms or dads. And you were at the studio right after school from 3 to 8 p.m., five days a week. So you're looking at, like, 20, 30 hours of training on top of, like, all the schooling and stuff that you're going through. You have injuries that you're going through at a young age, you know, um, and it goes all the way until you make it into your professional career. Um, sometimes usually between the ages of 16 and 21. Um, and, and these are just average numbers. I'm not, you know, some people are blessed and are able to, you know, go a little later. Some are a little earlier. Um, you know, a lot of these kids on like dance moms are obviously much younger and stuff like that. I'm just giving kind of like a general... Um, number, um, based off of, like, just the average, and, um, so, yeah, all these kids, you know, they work really young, they start from when they're super young, up into their teenage years, then they get their jobs, and, um, and then when they're, they're, then they're starting to work, and it depends on where you're going in your career, too, right, like, in my career, I knew that I wanted to work with celebrities. Like, I had a mission. Like, I was like, I at least want to get on a tour. 
I want to at least do this. Like, as I think you kind of get at a certain age and in a certain genre, you kind of know where you are heading in your dance career. You know, either you're going to go join a ballet company or maybe you're going to go do Broadway or go commercial or go do acro and, like, do circus. Um, you know, there's a ton of different options, obviously, and it just depends on where you go. But, you know... <clears throat> Let's be real here. None of them are paying big bucks. Dance isn't one of those things that, like, parents are rushing to wake their kids up and be like, go be a dancer today. I want you to do it. Um, at least not in my generation. In my generation, it was like, oh, one, you're a dude, and you dance, so you must be gay. And it's like, well, obviously I am. But, you know, I had to work with, like, I've worked with younger kids who parents have come up to me and be like, oh, please don't do any feminine choreography because, you know... We don't want him to get made fun of because he dances. And I'm like, this is stupid. This needs to be, you know, whether or not it's feminine or not, and your son is gay, straight or not, if you want them to be a professional dancer, they need to learn every style. Um, that's point blank, period. Um, and there is obviously a lot of stigmas that go around. There's a lot of depression that goes around, um... A lot of ballerinas have a lot of eating disorders and, like, mental health issues that they develop over the years because of the severe, you know, having to watch your weight, having to look a certain way, having... There's just a lot of pressure, and it can cause a lot of mental damage. Um, same in, like, the cheer world. Same in Vegas. Same on Broadway. Um, though Broadway's gotten better over the years, I'll be honest about that, because the more diverse roles have opened up, and obviously Broadway's gotten really big over the years, um, and, uh, you know, the conditions aren't like what everyone thinks they are, you know, and a lot of the time the celebrities, or not the celebrities, but the dancers who work with celebrities, they're on a tour bus, on, on a plane, day in, day out, and sometimes not even in first class, you know, these people aren't getting paid to go sit first class, drink champagne and all that stuff. No, they're paid to go to rehearsal. They're paid to work. And this glamorous lifestyle that I think a lot of people see on, like, Instagram, I mean, it looks great. But again, you have to think about that road and the journey that they got there, you know? And that's with every athlete, especially who's made it to the top. Like, they've worked... Their entire, they didn't wake up one morning and go, oh, I just want to do this. And that happens a lot. Um, and I'm seeing it more now in the dance community where they go and take a few classes and they're like, oh, okay, I can, you know, teach now. And it's like, it's not how that works, you know? Um, so there is this wall that needs to be broken down about how dance is viewed as this glamorous lifestyle um and to be honest it has its moments like I don't want to like tear it down like it doesn't have its glamorous moments because it definitely does getting to be on tv or getting to like be in front of that crowd um that is the excitement that's what we live for that's what we do it for we don't do it for the money because if that were the case like if I were doing it for money, I wouldn't be dancing. I would have been like, no. And that, that's how every dancer would have been. Um, you know, not every dancer is going to have that Misty Copeland 
ending where they're getting, you know, sponsorships like from Nike or Adidas, like, takes rare kinds for that to happen. And unfortunately, not every dancer is going to get that. And so that really, and so that really starts to beg the question of like, well, what comes next after a certain point, right? You know, most dancers, whether if it's not age that gets them out, it's either an injury or it's mental health. And those are really the three main things that will end a dancer's career. You have the injury, you have the age, and you have the mental health. One of those three are bound to take a dancer out. And, you know, I think a lot of people hope it's more or age. Um, either it's you're dancing in a professional company and just, you know, you're getting into your mid-30s, you're not looking as young, you know, you're not going to be playing Clara <laughs> in the Nutcracker, you know. So now it's like, okay... 35, what am I going to do next? Um, and after that, you may go into some teaching, and, you know, you'll teach into your 70s. Um, and after that, it's, okay, obviously I'm not going to be moving as much, right? And kind of the same with, like, any other career. You're kind of dancing at a certain point to a certain age, and then you kind of, maybe your skill set starts to get less and less and less. Um, cause obviously at 70, you're not doing backflips. And if you are, I want to know who your doctor is. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, other than that, it's, you know, you have an injury and unfortunately that was something, and that can be a tricky one because like myself, I was injured, but not to the point where I'm fully not capable of dancing. Like I can dance, but my mobility is definitely restricted because of nerve damage done to my spinal cord. Um, some other dancers, they have, don't have that problem. They've had the injury and they're able to heal from it. Like for example, broken bones and things like that. Um, you know, dancers get pulled muscles, they dance through it all the time. But you know, one day some dancers get the injury that none of us want and that is that's the one that's gonna take us out. Um, and that's probably the hardest one because that's the one where you're like, what the fuck did I do wrong? What did my body do? Or that's a whole, that's a whole nother podcast episode because that fucks with your mental psyche. And we will definitely do a podcast episode on that one day. Um, uh, cause that is something I definitely dealt with and I still deal with too, because though I'm still able to dance. I definitely have, like, I wouldn't say body dysmorphia, but it, I don't feel in my own skin. Like, there's, like, I don't feel connected in a weird way because of the injury. So, anywho, it's a long story, and we'll definitely get into it one day. But um, And then the other one was um, mental health. You know, these young kids who are told you need to look a certain way, you need to have a certain body type, and that's men and women. Um, 
it really is both. And there was actually a show over that I watched over quarantine called Tiny Pretty Things. If you have not seen it and you are a dancer, you should definitely watch it. If you are a non-dancer, you should also definitely watch it. It was so good. It was right up my alley. It was true crime and dance in one show. And bitch, if you know me, true crime is my shit. And so I was living for this. But the one thing I really liked about it was that they had a guy who had the eating disorder and it wasn't the girl because normally they always show a girl. And I'm like, oh, thank God, because like we need to get rid of this idea that it's just women that have the problem. And it's not. It's men and women. Um, so that was really cool, but these are the things that, you know, can take a dancer out over time because once you get further and further into the industry, it just, it's, it gets worse when you're not booking work or you're, you know, the work's just not coming to you like you expected it to. And, you know, you go through these changes of like trying to change your physique or you're trying to change your image by cutting your hair, maybe trying new makeup, all these sort of things, um gets daunting. It gets tiring. And you don't want to do it your whole life. And then you start to question yourself, like, well, was it me? And it takes you down this deep, deep, dark rabbit hole. And, you know, luckily, I didn't have any sort of mental breakdown in that sense. Um, that kind of, I always had thick skin in that sense. It, but I'm not everybody and other people have had I've definitely witnessed other people have that, you know, or go through that. I've, I I have witnessed other people go through that. So um, it's not nothing to fuck with. So, you know, but then it comes to, now we need to get into the retirement phase, right? So like whether or not, you know, one of those three things happened or whatnot, it's what's next. What, what do we do? And see... This is where I have, where I had the struggle because I love dance. I don't ever want to give that up. You know, even if I can't move, like, I want to be connected to it. Just being connected to it in some sort of fashion gives me, might not fulfill my heart. Like, I can move, like, I can't physically move, but I could, I would be okay when I get older, obviously, I'm, and I'm talking when I get older, not right now, but as I get older, you know, I can't physically move as much as I'd like to, but being able to still stay connected to my community is much more important than me than just giving up on it cold, cold heartedly. Now, other people may feel the same way and just like they end up hating the industry. And that's fair to say, because like I said, it's fucking hard. The industry is hard, probably one of the hardest industries to be in. Just like acting and singing, like constantly you're picked apart, you know, and you have to have the thick skin to get through that. Um, and I, for me, I started questioning like, okay, well, what can I do to keep in the industry that's going to make me happy? And luckily I thought about podcasting, but... You know, I also started looking and I'm like, there are so many other things that we can do. You know, I researched that on the labor, um, the labor statistics um, on their website, you can type in dance and it shows you how many actual dancers are employed and it shows you all sorts of different cool numbers. And one number that struck out to me was that it shows like the dance industry at its like maximum capacity of job opportunities 
that number was 6%. That means there is 94 more percent that this dance industry has growth from. That's fucking nuts. So we are just breaking open into this industry. And um, it made me think like, okay, well, what more could we use of, right? Like, I think some of the biggest things that we are having hurdles on is like getting healthcare for dancers and getting better pay for dancers and things like that nature, right? Things that are like the legal parts. Well, we don't have any dancers that are being like, who are retiring and be like, well, I want to help the dance community and I want to become a lawyer. At least I haven't met anybody. So if you're out there, please hit me up because I would love to know more. But I would love to see more fight for performing artists at a government level. We're just not there. We don't have like lobbyists. I actually have found this really interesting study called Facilitating the Transition of Dancers to Post-Performance Careers. It is a research report done by the Advanced Project, and it's really interesting. So some of the people that are supporters of this project, and they're labeled in the front, I'm just going to point out some names because I think they, I need to draw attention to them. Um, and to highlight, so the Rolex Corporation, and that is the watch, you have this company called Altria Group. The Altria Group is the most leading group for tobacco brands, right? That seems really strange. Why are they investing into this program? A&E Consulting, which works with Altria Group, they are a consulting firm. Why does that have anything to do with it? Now, Dance Magazine and Dance USA, they've been a part of it. Then there's, you know, people across the seas, like the Dutch Retraining Program for Professional Dancers, the Moroccan Dance Forum. You have the National Endowment for the Arts. I mean, there's probably about 40 of them. UNICEFCO, that was the other one I have here highlighted, which is obviously, you know, um, the government thing. Um... Now, this was done in 2004, and I'm just going to give you some of the summaries that they had, um, that I kind of pulled from here in their summary report, because I don't obviously want to go through the whole report, but it is a very interesting read, so if you ever have time, definitely suggest you read it. This is what they came out with for dancer, the dance industry worldwide, their summary of their report for dance, the dance industry worldwide. So, most dancers in all 11 countries that they did are all female. And, um, kind of true. This was done in 2004. I think it's definitely grown a little bit since then. But, definitely true. Like, there are always more females always at a job than there are males. And I'm glad to see more and more males out there killing it. Because, like I told you earlier, like, me growing up, like... I was shunned upon for being a dancer. Like, when you were a boy dancer, it was like, oh, he's gay. And not all the dancers I knew were gay. And I'm like, that's so just a stigma. Like, that needs to be broken real quick. And we just need more dan male dancers out there. I love it. Anywho, um, <clears throat> 
Dance is an important component of the performing arts, accounting for a total of about 33 million attendances annually in 11 countries we studied. That is phenomenal. That is a huge amount. Do you know how many people that is? That's 33 million attendances annually. That's the events. And you have to imagine the amount of people at these events. Dancers dance in front of hundreds and thousands of people all around the world. Um, the other one I thought that was really interesting is there is, a, there is a substantial amount of direct government funding of dance in all countries studied, except for the U.S. Now, bitch, you won't sit here and tell me that the U.S., the richest motherfucker of all of the damn countries, and bitch, you ain't even helping out your performing artists. You dancers make so much money for companies. If you think about Old Navy ads, ads that you see at um, during halftime, the halftime of the fucking show, you, I mean, everywhere, every facet of life somewhere has dance, and yet we are not paid, or we are not covered by our government at all. It's fucking crazy. It's nuts to me. I just, it, I can't comprehend that. Every time I read that, um, and I remember when Corona started, and it's online somewhere, the Prime Minister of Australia got on and was like, yo, we need to make sure that we are helping performing artists. We need to make sure we have funds going to performing artists. And they got hundreds of thousands of dollars out to performing artists around Australia. And, bitch, I've gotten, like, a few months worth of rent, if that. I mean, not even, not even, because I've had, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's crazy to me. Um, and then the, 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 the one right underneath of it says, dance is a poorly paid occupation compared to the other professions. And although some dancers are fortunate enough to be able to work full time, many are obliged to take on jobs in order to support their careers in dance. Bitch, I know that, uh, that's the other thing. So a lot of these dancers on like fucking Instagram that post their pictures, I'm like, yes, I know that you're working for Ariana Grande, bitch, but you're also serving me my Grande coffee down at Starbucks. Like, it, that's the true tea. And you might not know it, but your Starbucks barista could be a fucking professional dancer and has been working with celebrities. And that's the real tea right there. Um, and so these are the things that when dancers are trying to retire and you know, you're not getting paid a ton of money, you know, throughout your career. And I think, you know, dancers have a lot of expenses when they're out on tour or they're traveling and, you know, they have their apartment, their car, a life still goes on for them. Yet, you know, I mean, they're not having to pay obviously for like travel and stuff while they're on tour, but they still have their expenses that they have at home. And so, you know, it's really hard for dancers to, like, save up money, unlike a lot of these other professional careers where, you know, football players are getting paid millions of dollars and, <laughs> and you know, getting some of the best health care in the world. Yet, you know, we do just as hard of a job, you know, if not harder, and getting paid last on the totem pole prices. Um, actually, there is another study that I, no, not a study, but an article that I found 
And dancers actually make 16, on average, make 16.25 an hour. Choreographers make on average 20.25 an hour. And that's around the U.S. Um, you know, most, the average um, pay for um, a non-unionized music video is $250. Um, you know, you know how many non-union jobs you have to get to in order to make rent? And especially try and, like, if you're living in New York, holy fucking shit, girl, because that rent out there is not cheap, girl. My aunt works as a realtor out there, so I know what they paying out there. Like, and, you know, you ain't living alone either. So I'm just trying to think about, like, when are people really trying to save money? You know, and it's not like a lot of these dance gigs are giving out 401ks and health benefits because they're not. And so, you know, these dancers are going out there sacrificing literally every bone in their body, hoping that they don't get hurt when they're dancing on hard surfaces and working their bodies day in, day out in rehearsals and getting paid literally scraps. Um, it's, it's hard for them to start planning and start thinking about the future. So... <clears throat> having worked in, in the family industry of my mom's, which was care homes for the elderly, that there gave me kind of the jump start to start thinking about, like, my future. Because, you know, I saw a lot of elderly people that would come through and, you know, you never know what your end result is going to be. You know, a lot of residents that came in, they either outlived their family, they, you know, are living off government funds and can barely afford to live and have to have assistance. Um, there were many times where my mom had to lower her standard rate just, you know, because she wanted to take people in because they couldn't afford anywhere else. And we're going to get good care anywhere else. Anywho, that's a story for another time because, yeah, she got fucked over in the end on that. But... Um, it's really important for dancers to really start thinking about the end of, not their career, but, like, what is, what's going to happen next? Like, having, I don't want to say, I hate using the word, like, a backup plan, but, like, a secondary plan. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. We're going to say that. What's your secondary plan? Um, you know, and I see, I actually see now a lot of young dancers, um, that are doing other hobbies in art. Like, I've seen a couple that are, like, great photographers, you know, graphic art design, and they're doing their own stuff, their own work, and that's genius. I love watching that. Um, so I'm interested to know what other dancers out there and their secondary um, careers are, or art paths, or art journeys, or whatever you want to call it. Like, I'm interested. So definitely let me know. Um, it's really, really important, though, for the young dancers out there to know, like, start saving up your money now, like, set aside, like, certain thing or a certain amount for each month, um, you know, whether or not you're working two jobs or whatnot, and usually I think, too, you know, the ones that are working, you know, at your local Starbucks or your local bagel store or whatever, you know, those jobs are probably, you know, have the 401k and, like, being able to, like, you know, 
put away some sort of savings for their future. But at the end of the day, like a lot of these dance gigs, unless you're SAG-AFTRA or some union, you know, you're not getting the benefits that, you know, a lot of others are getting. So, you know, play smart, like really try and map out that middle part of your career and make sure you're tucking, tucking savings away financially. Um, and I think also too, um, it's good to mention that it's not just about finances. It's also about like, it's hard. I'm not even going to fucking lie. Like even just thinking about it, like starting to think about this podcast was really hard because I'm like, well, does that mean I have to give up dancing soon? No, it doesn't. But it means that I need to start planning you know, I can feel it in my body being going through an injury that I, st- I, even at my young age, I mean, I'm not old, but I'm, I definitely feel different, you know, than I, than most people I think my age, um, because of the injury. I hate to use that as an excuse, but it, it really did reshape how my body moves, unfortunately. And um, it's a large mental struggle. So whether or not it was an injury, whether or not it was a mental reason, or it was um, your age or whatever the reason is that maybe you might have to like move on from dance or start thinking of your secondary journey, it's also important that, like, there are places that can help nowadays. I was reading in this uh, article as well, or not the article, but the study as well, that there are places that actually do help dancers transition out of the dance community and into, like, new careers because that is something that, like, you know, we spend all of our time dancing, training working, that we don't have time to be focusing on other hobbies or crafts or skill sets that, you know, say you are injured and you can't dance anymore physically and, you know, you maybe have to go move into an office desk or something like that and maybe you're not tech savvy, you know, it's not like you had the time to go and like learn word office or office or whatever it's called, (laughs) um, you know, you were busy dancing. And so there needs to be more programs that help facilitate dancers as they are. Now, as I'm saying that, I want to read out which ones they are. Um, There is the Career Transition for Dancers in New York City and Los Angeles. Um, It has serviced more than 2,600 dancers nationwide and has awarded more than 1.7 million in education and entrepreneurial grants. Um, there is the Dancers Transition Resource Center in Canada is a membership organization that offers broad based services to dancers on entering during and after their professional performance careers. The UK Center for Career Transition for Professional Dancers, Dance Career Development, the DD, the DCD, tongue twister, offers a wide range of practical, psychological, and financial retraining and career transition services for professional dancers, including educational advice, career coaching, emotional counseling, resume and interview guidance, grants for 
retraining business, startup grants, and ongoing supportive for professional dancers, and ongoing support for professional dancers. There's also the Dutch retraining program for professional dancers. There's the international organization for the transition of professional dancers. So around the world, obviously there are, um, I think those are the, yeah, the last one was the Swiss Association for Career Reorientation of Professional Dancers. So around the globe, they're starting to open up, and I think that is amazing um, because leaving the dance industry is probably the hardest. It's 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 so hard to like even put into words like what it feels like. Um, but I also just think it's really important to note that we as dance educators need to be showing students who are younger that there are other opportunities within the dance field. You know, you don't necessarily have to be a performer, but there are many different avenues. You know, you can be an entrepreneur, own a studio, there's physical therapy, there's, you know, mental therapy, there is all sorts of different career paths within the dance industry. There's agencies, there's companies, there's so many different avenues that need to be showcased rather than just being a performer because then we're just letting our we're setting our students up for failure, you know, for the future. And as you get older, you know, it's going to get harder because you're not prepared for any other skill sets. It's not like you're doing, you know, computer data science on the side. You know, you're busy in rehearsals and performing when you're a professional dancer that you're not really preparing for any other skills. So it's important that at the young age we start, you know, educating these young dancers that, hey, it's okay if you don't want to be a performer. But if you love the dance field, then there are other things that you could do to contribute. And that's how our dance industry is going to grow. You know, going back to that number, 6%, it's still such a small industry. We have so much room for growth. But if we don't educate them at a young age, then that number is not going to get any bigger. Yeah, we're not going to shrink down the ability. We're not going to shrink down that number of um, open space for it to grow. You know, so that is really, really important for us educators who are educating the young uh, dance, the young, the young dancers and the younger dance generation that there is more to it. You know, it's not just performing. So, because at some point in their dance career, they're going to hit that mark and that point in their life where they're like, okay, what happens next, you know? And you don't want to get to that point and then just be stuck. And that tends to what happens. And by studies show, like, it really does happen a lot more than people think. You know, you get to that point in your career, and you're at the height of it, and then all of a sudden, one of those instances takes you out, and you got nothing. You're left with nothing, and you're really starting from scratch. And I've had to do that now a couple times, where I've had to refocus. And every time, though, luckily, it's been able to take me back to dance. But again, not everyone has that kind of situation. So it's really important. And, you know, you know, Martha Graham once said, and it's probably one of the quotes that I will always remember and go back to, every dancer dies twice. The first death is the most painful. And it's true because it's the day that it's the reckoning. It's the day that's going to... No one who's worked their whole entire life for 
wants to go away. So, uh, um, yeah. So, now, I also just want to say, like, whether you're a dancer or you're not a dancer and whatever phase you're going through in your life, like if you're going through that next chapter and you're starting to think like, okay, what is my secondary journey going to be? Like, still make sure you're passionate about it. Like, that's the key. Make sure you're just as passionate about it as you are your main project or your main passion. Um, you know, I believe you can have more than one passion. And, I mean, I do. True crime is my other passion. But, um, you know, whatever you are going to do, make sure that it's something that you're passionate about and that you love. Don't let it be about the money. Never let it be about the money because at the end of the day, it's not going to help you. You know, money doesn't make you feel good. I mean, okay. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's a fucking lie. Money definitely makes you feel good. However, don't do it for the money because... Nothing feels as good as doing what you love. Nothing. And I don't think money can replace that, to be honest. You know, that's a true statement. Money can't replace a feeling. Money can replace... I mean, money can replace a lot of things, but there are a lot of things it can't replace. And... That is what I want to do with my life, and I think that's what everybody should do with their life. Because, as I mean, it's like what that old saying goes, like, do what you love, the money will flow. Because if you're not doing what you love, then are you really living life? Is you really living the best quality of life? Um, and it's just not worth it to me if you're not. So, you know... So when you're planning for the next chapter of your life and you're thinking about what your second journey may be, you know, just know that you're not alone out there and that there are places that you can go and seek help and, you know, know whatever struggles you're going through that there is a maybe not so big but definitely a decent sized community that is got your back and, you know, there are people out there that can definitely help. So, before we sign off of our very first episode, I just want to leave you guys with a killer tip to take away for the week. So, if you're going to class, just make sure that you guys go and thank your instructor after. Yeah, they work really hard out there. The instructors have been struggling through this quarantine and just showing them a little love and appreciation as we get back on the dance floor will really help them out. So make sure you give some love to your instructors after class. And I thank you guys so much for listening. I would love to hear some feedback. I'd love to hear about your secondary journeys and passions. And, and I'd love to hear some of the journeys that you guys have gone through. You know, some of the struggles, some of the joys of your relationships with dance and your journey with dance. So feel free to email me at dancebeyondthefloor at gmail.com and I look forward to hearing all your beautiful stories. And make sure to tune into our next episode as April celebrates International Dance Day, but I like to think of it as International Dance Month, so we're going to be dancing through the ages, looking at dance from the time it was birthed all the way until what we see what it is now. So I'm super excited. I love a little dance history, and I know you are too. So until then, slay always and forever, JJ the Killer. Bye-bye.